Hello and welcome to How To Money, a financial education podcast for young Australians aimed at opening up the conversation around money. In each episode, your host, Kate Campbell, brings in a variety of guests to explore everything from buying shares to starting your own business, all with the aim of kickstarting your personal finance journey. Just a quick reminder that everything we cover in this podcast is for financial education purposes only, and we are not giving you any advice. If you do want advice, please seek the help of a qualified and competent professional and do some research. Remember, it's your money, so take control. Andy, thank you so much for joining me on the How To Money podcast today. Good morning, Kate. Very happy to be here. Now, you're one of those people that in the disclaimer, if listeners actually are tuning in, we say to go and see. You're a financial advisor, that's right? Yeah, correct. Where I run a financial planning business called Advise Me Today and we're a fully licensed, fully fledged financial planner. Yeah. And just to differentiate, if people haven't dealt with financial advisors before, what's the difference between maybe that general advice you might find on the internet and listen to on this podcast and what you do in your day job? So general advice is you kind of talk around a topic. So today we're going to talk about super funds. You might talk about investments. You might talk about tax. You might talk about anything. When you actually go and see an advisor, they'll kind of take a look at your whole picture. So they'll go through and they'll delve into, you know, your personal tax circumstances, where your assets are structured, what stage of life you're in, your personal attributes that are relevant to insurance. So it's a much, much, much deeper, deeper dive. And and the basis being that there's just a whole raft of things that fall under our bandwidth as financial advisors. But in general, you know, a lot don't apply to some people, a lot do apply to others. So it's basically looking at the whole map and and understanding which roads are appropriate to which people. So you would look at all areas of someone's financial situation and kind of figure out the best way forward for them, depending on what their goals and risk tolerances are. Yeah, correct. And I mean... We deal with people, say, for example, that are that are younger in life and have started a family, and they're going to have different things that are relevant to them to, say, someone who's approaching retirement, and it's more about understanding how much can you live off, what's the best way to structure your investments, how do we maximize things like social security, you know, what happens to your super if you die, and that's one other thing as well. So a financial planner is for lack of a better term, really kind of a, a jack of all trades and a master of none. We're the kind of experts when it comes to super insurance and investments. But um, outside of that, we're kind of a quarter of an accountant, fifth of a lawyer, a third of a mortgage broker, a bit this, that and the other. And so how that can assist as well as kind of some people use the analogy that, you know, that think of them like a GP and they'll second you out to to specialists where appropriate if, you know, if someone requires a colonoscopy, if you will. And it's a good place to start, especially if you do want someone to look at your situation personally, because no one else on the internet can do that. So yeah, definitely. Thank you so much for joining me, Andy. And we're talking about superannuation today and specifically all of those things that if you are looking at different super funds and trying to evaluate what's right for you, some of the things you should look at like fees and asset allocation, maybe if there's an ethical option, and we'll dive into that a bit later. But I guess to kick off the conversation, what's the most important thing you think listeners should be aware of when they're deciding what super fund to go with? 
Yeah, definitely. So one thing I'll just preface it with as well is there is no one perfect super fund. There is no magic solution. You know, (laughs) some people will have pretty strong opinions that one is better, but at the end of the day, that's just simply not the case. And the other thing that I'd just quickly indemnify as well before we get in is is the fact that it's it's not that hard to sort out your superannuation. There is too much information on the net, but equally, a lot of it is really, 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 really good and and pretty simple in essence. So, small differences in returns can make really colossal differences in the arena of hundreds of thousands of dollars. So, um, it's it's not that hard to resolve for, for most people where your situation isn't that complicated. So, I would implore them to do so. But in reference to what's the number one biggest factor when we're talking about uh, your super fund, and it's not actually the super fund, it's the underlying investments, and that is structured by something called asset allocation, uh, risk profile. And what that basically means is how much of your money is in things like shares and property, i.e. a higher risk and a higher return, and how much of your money is invested in things like you know cash and bonds and fixed interest and things that take less risk but equally give less return. So that's the single biggest driver. So you could be in an absolute pauper of a super fund, but as long as you're in the the maximum, you know, risk high growth investment option, well, it's likely that, you know, your returns will be okay relatively. And that's more a personal choice than anything, you know, where in that spectrum you sit. And I mean, some people are, are quite anxious about markets and investing and and don't have a lot of money to take risk with. But why it's really important for super is the fact that you and I can't touch our superannuation till we're 60 as it's currently legislated. And, you know, it's possible that that's going to be longer. So if you've got, say, three decades or more of it just sitting there burrowing away doing its thing, well, you can take a lot of risk because you're not going to access that money for quite a long period of time. And then by by comparison, if you're talking about someone who's in their late 50s, they're coming up really close to retirement, they don't have a lot of their earning capacity or, or basically earning a wage ahead of them, we probably don't want to be you know, taking a huge amount of risk because they don't have another 10 or 15 years for the market to recover. And then equally important with asset allocation, it's, it's just it's the number one free lunch with investments. It's diversification. So the more things you own, you know, the less correlated they are. For example, the ASX is pretty tuned to resources. That's where a lot of lot of the the markets invested and a pretty big driver for our economy. That's going to be slightly different performing to somewhere like Japan or the States or Europe or China. Um, so again, just making sure that it's spread evenly so that those returns aren't as volatile. Yeah, and I think a really good thing to differentiate for people brand new to the idea of super is the super funds different from the all the options underneath your super fund. So just because you're in the same overall super fund, like the Apple super fund as your friend, doesn't mean you're actually invested in the same thing inside it. Yeah, exactly right. And the laws come a long way in that regard. So, you know, nowadays, if you don't make any initiative at all with, you know, what super fund you know, you just take what your employer gives you and you don't give any thought to it, which I would suggest that most people in in society have at one stage or another, you'll get lumped into something called My Super. And My Super is a really good initiative by the government probably between five or 10 years ago. And what it basically means is that 
you're put into a basket that's dependent on your age. So again, if you've got someone joining a business and they're they're 50, well, their super is going to default into something that's lower risk than someone who's in their 20s or 30s. Because again, that's on the basis that markets go up, markets go down. No one knows what's going to happen tomorrow, two days or three years from now. But what you can say is that over seven or 10-year time horizons, we'd expect these kinds of things to happen. And so kind of being insulated there. But that being said, my soup is good, but it's it's really a safety solution. What's a lot better is just basically having, you know, a look at your situation and thinking about what's important to you and then making a decision on that basis. Because again, you might not be in the highest risk possible versus if you know that's appropriate for you, that might do better for you over the longer term than the my super. And so again, the safety mechanisms are good, but what's better is basically just reviewing, you know, how it works for your personal circumstances and then going from there. And when we're comparing different super fund options, one of the things that often comes up as a a point of comparison is the fees you're paying. And there are a few different fees to be aware of that super funds do charge. How important do you think fees are when we're making this big decision of where to put our superannuation? Yeah, fees are um, a big talking point, that's for certain. So again, the the number one thing that will dictate whether you retire with a million dollars or $400,000 or that's probably a bit extreme is again how it's invested. But the number two thing is fees because every dollar you pay in fees is one less dollar that's working hard for your retirement. And the the thing I like to think about is, well, who's profiting from your super? Is your super fund profiting from you or are you profiting from your super fund? And fees have come a lot more into into the fore over the last couple of years with the you know the royal commission and and people becoming more engaged you know there's a lot of books out there which have made people reflect a lot more on where your money is and kind of what it's doing and just one thing that i don't think is necessarily correct is the fact that the lowest fee is not automatically the best. So just because your fee is $10 cheaper does not mean that your return is going to be $10 higher. What What is really important is that you're getting good value. So I mean, that also in itself depends. So, you know, and this kind of ties into something we'll talk about a bit later, which is, you know, the whole active and passive debate. But What's also important is, you know, you want to be in a really competitive fee. So so it's kind of similar to performance, which again, we'll talk about in a minute, but you want to be in the, the good quartile or so, you know, at the lower end of fees. So if one fund's charging you one and a half percent, and they're really in essence doing nothing different than another fund that is charging you say 0.6%, then, you know, there's a pretty strong argument to move there. And, and just another thing as well, you know, in the kind of finance and and super fund world, we always think about fees in a percentage term. So you probably want it to be closer to 0.6 or 0.7 of a percent of of your total balance than over one. Once it gets over one, you you tend to be wading into, you know, products that probably aren't going to give you as good a result. But again, that comes back to what what do you get for that fee? So again, if if you've got a, a fund that, you know, just doing simple maths, you've got a hundred thousand dollars in there and you've got a fee of one point seven five percent, that means you're paying one thousand seven hundred and fifty. 
And if that fund really isn't doing anything different than another fund that's going to charge you seven or eight hundred bucks, well, yeah, there's a there's a pretty clear clear idea to change there. But you know, other people might have a certain fund that they're in for for a certain reason, and it does charge a higher fee. Well, again, that's okay. It's it's more the basis of what what are you paying the fee for, and also more importantly, is it good value? Because again, what you, what you want is good value because you're paying your super fund to look after you. So you want them to have good customer service. You want them to have top tier investment managers. You know, it's important that they don't actually go broke as well because they're the kind of custodians for your second biggest asset outside the family home for most people. So yeah, it's it's more about getting value. And again, just just something that I read a lot about in the press, my social life isn't that exciting that I stay away from it, is that there is a real kind of movement towards just lowest is the absolute best. And it's not really the case. You definitely want it to be lower but it doesn't need to be the lowest. Just because you're saving 0.1% or $100 on fees doesn't necessarily mean that you're going to get an extra return of the same amount. And if we look at one of the fees, which is usually you've got the administration fee and the investment management fee, what does the investment management fee usually cover? Because there's a lot of different options and that can be where the fees really start to differ. Oh, definitely. And that's right. The other, the other quick thing on fees as well is that there's a million different ones and some use different terms for you know different things but when when you boil down to it there'll be a cost component for the admin and again that's logging on getting your super statement having a call center you can call up you know they process your contributions from your employer etc cetera, etc cetera. the other and and more often than not the higher component of the fees the lion's share of the cost is the investment management and that is literally taking the money and going and investing it. And investment management is, yeah, after fees and asset allocation, in my opinion, the third most important. And equally, it's it's a really big beast. So, you know, the the number one bellwether for your investment management is the performance. And the old adage is that, you know, past performance doesn't guarantee future performance. Well, that's 100% true, but you probably want to be in hiding in that top quartile again. So similar with fees, you know, it's you, just because someone performed the best last year doesn't necessarily mean that they're going to do that for the next 10 years, but you definitely want to be in that top, you know, percentage of winners because that means that they're doing things that are obviously working pretty well. Equally in that regard, you probably want to look at numbers closer to three or five years rather than one month, six month, one year, because these are massive, massive institutions that have got a lot going on and there's different drivers at any one point in time. So you don't want to make knee-jerk reactions and just look at things on a 12-month basis. You really want to take that medium-term view. But that that ties into something else as well, because you know, there's been a lot, a lot, a lot, a lot of change in the in the big super funds over the last couple of years. And one of the big things is how much of the investment management is run internally and externally. And so that dovetails quite a lot into the fees as well. As I said earlier, we, we'll um, we'll delve into the whole active and passive thing in just a moment. But when we're talking about the actual managers of the money, 
quite often you'll find that you might have big super fund A and they've got a team of X dozen or 100 people that run the money, a a component of the money in-house. And then where appropriate, they go and find super, super, you know, boffins who run money uh, externally. So, you know, quite often that'll be someone that's running an infrastructure fund or, you know, a private equity manager or, you know, some of these monolithic US hedge funds. And so, what it's it's like most things in life, really. It's not one or the other. You probably want to strike a balance between a fund that does a lot of the management in-house, but then they also go and get a ton of experts out outside of their own business. And the reason for that is pretty simple, really. More often than not, when when these big super funds are managing the money in-house, it helps bring down the cost. So, you know, that that can really assist them in, you know, giving a better fee to a client. But equally, what you tend to find is if you're the world's greatest private equity manager and, you know, you're, you're second to none, well, if you can earn a very healthy living, you know, working as a senior executive at Superfund A, or you can go and start your own company and make an obscene amount of money, well, call me a pessimist, most people seem to opt for the second option. So again, it's about, you know, when you get external managers, there really are some that are that are head and shoulders above the rest. And, you know, if your fund is able to go and negotiate for them to manage a pot of your money because they do it better than anyone, well, that's a really big win. And that boils down into something else that we think about when we're talking about investment management in your super, which is, is your fund selecting someone that they're affiliated with or are they selecting someone who is top of the pops, best of breed, the best at what they do? And so the example might be if your super fund's part of a big financial services institution and they've got a super fund arm, they've got a banking arm and they've got an investment management arm, well, there's a pretty good argument from that company's perspective to do it all in-house because you've got this thing that's been well publicized called vertical integration. And it's not to say it's the worst thing on earth, but basically it means that they're not looking at the entire menu that's available. And versus if you think about another fund that all they do is super and they may manage you know, a component of that super themselves but then they've got free reign to go anywhere from here to Moscow or Iceland to find the private equity manager that they want to do the work or you know the bond manager that they want to do the work because the other thing as well is you know if you're a if you're a massive super fund you're based in Melbourne or Sydney well you might not be the best person to manage a portfolio of Japanese stocks or you know ch- yeah Chinese debt or European, you know, a French painting company or something like that. So that's where it really pays to have some, you know, some level of independence or at least lack of conflicts within your super fund. And just one final thing about investment management as well, a kind of quirk of of super funds is that, you know, for a lot of people, again, it's 10 or 20 year time horizon. And so some of them will invest in things that are called liquid assets. And put simply, you know, if you or I buy 10 Commonwealth Bank shares, well, we can sell them at a moment's notice. We don't have to go and get an appraisal and hire an agent. We just click into our online broker and away it goes. 
when you're dealing with things like airports, bridges, certain investments, which we won't get too into, but you know, certain bond strategies and fixed income strategies and credit strategies and private equity and et cetera, et cetera. It's it's something called a liquid. And that basically means that like quite literally, you know, if you own twenty percent of Brisbane Airport, where well, you can't just um, sell it on eBay, you've got to go through some pretty rigorous processes there. And the benefit being, if you've got a massive, massive, massive balance, there's a, there's a great argument to having a component in a liquid assets. Again, things like tolls, bridges, you know, airports, uh, private companies, credit, etc. But the more you have, the less you know, the less easy it is for you to pay out redemptions to to your members. So you know, people withdrawing super for for whatever reason, be it you know, for instance, the coronavirus ten thousand dollar access provision, or you know, literally just retirement, what most people use it for. And the other mildly thing that just requires extra care with the liquid assets is using that example again around Commonwealth Bank shares, just picking picking a stock at random, you know, th- there can be no ambiguity as to what they're valued at. If I've got a $20 billion equity portfolio, we can say with absolute certainty what it's worth because it's valued on what's called an active market every single day. It, again, using the example, if you own 30% of a, you know, a country's airport, well, that's not something that gets bought and sold every 15 minutes. So there's a bit more of a negotiation process to what it's worth. And the last thing on earth you want to see is that, you know, Superfund A was carrying this this airport on their books at, you know, $10 billion. But then when the time came to sell it, that they only got $8 billion for it because that would result in, you know, performance being being adjusted accordingly. So again, it's it's like all these things. It's not simply a case of black and white or one or the other. It's it's just finding the right balance. And also, you know, some people love that stuff and they really want to go hard at it. Well, cool. Here's, you know, options and funds that are really, really um in that space. And others are saying, that's really not my jam. Well, you know, they might have had a bad experience or whatever it might be. Well, awesome. Here's other funds that try to access the same investments, but they do it through listed vehicles, for instance. So, you know, you don't necessarily have to buy an airport directly. There's a really strong case for doing it, but you can also just go and buy a listed example of it being, you know, one, for example, being formerly Sydney Airport, Auckland Airport's also listed. But again, it's it's just coming back to the fact of, of striking a balance between them. And again, also thinking about the investment management piece you know, big funds have a lot of scrutiny and have a lot of rigor and have a lot of practice around these things. They also have to disclose all this information. So it's it's worth, you know, kind of reading some independent, unbiased research into, well, you know, just because one fund's performance has been truly stellar, well, how did they get to that point? So for example, did they have a little bit of a, a racy exposure to a liquid assets. And it doesn't mean that you'd write them off on that basis. It's just about understanding, well, you know, if one fund did 9% and there was some pretty, nothing improper, but there was a lot of assets in there, you know, that that were arguably a liquid and another fund did the same return, well, you might think, well, the other fund's got a, got a case for being a little bit better risk adjusted. I think it's really interesting just given the sheer size of some of the super funds in Australia and the amount of money they're managing how diff- they're playing a very different game to how you and I would invest individually and they have a very different approach for it. And um, I guess I was wondering more about how does the size of a super fund, because we see the really large established super funds that 
you probably see in the news and the paper all the time. And then there's kind of just like medium ones that might be related to your job or industry, or there's even some smaller startup ones. Does it matter how big and how established a super fund is when you're looking at different options? Yeah, look, it, in my opinion, it does. And in the regulator's opinion, it does. I think you could sum up what, so super funds are regulated by an institution called APRA, which is about as unexciting as the acronym suggests. But um, more excitingly, they are a big proponent of the the term size matters. And the basis for that being that the bigger your fund, the more likely it is to exist in you know 20 years from now. And if you're talking about you know buying a toaster, well, if my toaster company doesn't exist in ten or fifteen years, I don't really care. If my car, if the company that built my car doesn't exist in ten or fifteen years, well, that's going to be a pain in the neck because I'm not going to be able to get parts for it or you know sell it to a dealer or something to that effect. But with super, it's particularly important, in my opinion, on the basis that again, we're not talking about for most people, at least you know, the how-to money demographic. I would presume, you know, that they're looking at 10 plus years before they're going to access their super. And by virtue of that, um, the longer you stay in the right product, the better the results are going to be for you. So going back to that point about size, you know, the size of the fund, well, it it ties into another thing as well, is, is superannuation the primary focus of your super fund? So for example, you know, if, if you run a massive business and you've got access to hundreds of thousands of customers every day, and we've seen this with insurance providers and credit card providers and stuff like that, well, they might get an offer to say, hey, we've got this pre-packaged white-labeled credit card or insurance product or something. You can pop your name on it and sell it to your customers. And it's a, you know, it's an another income stream for you and it's just making use of that big body of, of consumers that you have. And there's nothing wrong with that at all. And we started to see that the case of that in super. And and the main difference, I suppose, that I um, see there is the fact that, again, if the whole idea of super is getting it right and then just letting it do its thing, because and I don't want to go too off topic here, but you, you really shouldn't have to check your super fund more than you check your tax return. Some people love it and they want to read about what's going on. They want to hear what the fund's doing. Well, you know, there's all the resources there, but at its core, you should really be able to find a product and quite literally set and forget until such time as your circumstances change, e.g. you get closer to retirement and you want to take less risk. But back to the point about size, well, if managing money and superannuation isn't the number one thing that your your super fund does well that's okay but you know what's the likelihood that they're they're still going to be running this this kind of product in 10 or 15 years and it's it's not to say it's like all these things it's it's not one tick or flick completely removes the the viability of a product it's just something to consider in in consideration of the whole you know the whole idea of the product so i really think it's important and and the other thing as well is there's different kinds of funds out there but for others as well the the smaller funds are kind of getting absorbed by the bigger funds and and that's at the initiative of the um the regulator and for good reason you know back in the day you'd have a, a super fund for for the nurses union and then you'd have a super fund for the truck drivers union and I mean, realistically, are the superannuation requirements of a nurse any different to a truck driver? Well, I would argue that they're not. And by virtue of that, we've seen, you know, a lot of consolidation in the space and that'll continue. But outside of that as well, you've got a lot of privately owned super funds. And and I mean, it comes back to the bigger the fund, the more likely it is to 
to continue to exist. And going back to the um, the investment management discussion as well, bigger the funds are, quite often the more scope they have to build these internal teams and really strike that real good balance between internal and external. With regards to size as well and regards to the internal management, you know, we've seen a lot of these pretty big funds put on a lot of staff quickly as well. So that's a consideration as well, particularly in the performance discussion is thinking, well, how, you know, you don't want them to grow too quickly either. You, you want to see a nice steady approach to it. You don't just want to wake up one day and say, okay, we've gone from being a company that does has everything done externally to bam, we're doing everything internally then because you'll see some growing pains and you know it is a big bad world out there with regards to investments and really want to take things at a measured approach but yeah size is important in this in the same vein as well that it's not one or the other just because the fund's bigger doesn't mean it's better and just because the fund's smaller doesn't mean it's necessarily worse it's just again taking in context of if you just want to pick it once and pick it right size is a factor in that and again one other thing that's pretty obvious is the fact that if you manage the more money you manage the more difficult it can become in some instances and and that's because it restricts the kind of investments that you make but but in reference to that i mean we're seeing some funds cross the the 200 billion dollar mark and so what that basically means is if you run an australian equities manager so just off to one side and you've got a $200 billion assets under management, you're going to be in dire straits because anytime you buy or sell something, you're going to move the market. You know, anything with a sub-billion dollar market cap, you just can't, you know, it isn't going to have a meaningful result on your performance. When you're talking about a super fund of that size, they're not just investing in the ASX. They've got mountains of cash. They've got mountains of assets overseas. That kind of gives them a ticket to the table of buying, you know, direct stakes in in private equity and, and in, you know, infrastructure projects like ports and bridges, etc. So it's not so much that size is a constraint, you know, $200 billion super fund doesn't mean that they're not going to be able to manage the money really well. So so just taking that in context as well. Yeah, I think it's a really interesting because most people don't know how much um, Australian super funds are funding innovation and private equity and startups and new building projects and student accommodation. There's so many different things that you're just thinking, oh, they're just kind of managing my money. But there's a lot going on there and there's a lot of money used in different ways. And if people wanted to find more about potentially how big the super fund they're looking at is, who's running the show, maybe how long they've been around for, where would you go for that information? Yeah, it's a, it's a bit tricky. So like, for example, we talk a lot about that on our website. I'll just do a shameless plug, advisemetoday.com.au. We, we talk about that stuff all the time. There's research providers out there that do it. So we subscribe to a number of different research providers that go in and, you know, run through the funds investment process and the tenure of the team and, you know, any changes to strategy. So, you know, did they just at a whim go from doing something for a long time and then do a 180 because that's not a great sign. And typically you've got to pay for those services, but then there's lots of sources coming out. And the general rule of thumb is, the, the more independent something is, the probably the less biased opinion you're going to get. And so an example being, you know, the the Your Super tool via the ATO, uh, ASIC has a lot of information on super funds, which is brilliant. 
we read the annual reports of a super fund. So in addition to the, you know, meeting with the funds and going through their external managers, some of them are very forthcoming with the exact makeup of, you know, our balanced option. This fund has 1.2%, X%, X%, Y%. Um, so we spend a lot of time talking to the actual teams within the funds, but equally, if you go to your actual super funds website, they will more often than not have have a lot of information. Some of them will use they'll they'll have a, a tool from say Chant West or someone like that that allows you to compare it. I think personally, all the work that Canstar do is second to none. I think Superguide stuff is second to none. And again, none of these businesses are owned by a fund or overly affiliated with them. They're in the business of super, sure. But, you know, the, the more independent a, a source you get, but at the complete other end of that spectrum as well is, is looking at your fund's annual report, which again, I'm not sure if people's social lives are so vibrant that they're happy to go through the, you know, 2021 super fund annual report because it's a long, dry document. But, um, you know, that's a really good source as well. And then there's always more consumer-friendly resources via your super fund as well. And so, you know, you might have your eye on something else as opposed to what you're in and it's about just comparing the two in that regard as well. Yeah, I think it's really encouraging to see just anecdotally so many of the large funds are now putting out more articles, they're doing webinars, all sorts of things for both public and members to really help them understand a little bit more about what's going on, especially if there's a particular volatile time in the market, they're running webinars to say, hey, members, this is what's going on. This is how we're managing your money during this time, which is really good. It's not just a a one-way relationship anymore. There's a bit of back and forward, which is nice to see. Yeah, and and that just quickly, that's one other thing as well. So, like, super has changed a lot in the in the last ten years, um, and I would suspect that it, it won't go through as big a transformative change, not in my lifetime anyway. But and in addition to the investment side of things, which again is what your investment fees are for, is the administration side of things. And I think credit where it's due, a lot of super funds. There's two ways, you, well, there's multiple ways you can go and get your advice. And one of them is going and seeing an advisor. And, you know, we've got a lot of costs and, and, and we do charge a fee for that service. But if you're already paying your super fund, well, well, the, the marginal costs of them putting out a webinar when, you know, Mr. Putin undertakes a, a war in Ukraine and, and discussing, you know, how that impacts them, how much exposure they've got to things like oil stocks and gold and things like that, you know, how much they have invested in the actual countries that are now sanctioned, costs them nothing, more or less, but it, it will give millions or hundreds of thousands or thousands or even just 10 of their their customers a benefit. And and so, the, the customer service that you super fund is really important as well. And it's not hard for them to disseminate opinions on, on the current day where, you know, they can do a recording with their chief economist talking through things. Because a lot of the advice we give is, is pretty simple stuff. It's about once you set things up correctly, it's just about staying the course you know there's the old there's a there's a million different ones but there's the old adage it's not about it's not timing the market it's time in the market so there will always be things that no one sees coronavirus you know war in europe um trade sanctions whatever it might be i'm sure there's 50 more to come that will make markets move pretty volatilely but again when you go back to that 70 10 year perspective well that's a real help. And again, there's a lot of other things that are relevant to super and not just your super fund. And I think um, a lot of those big funds have the resources and member-friendly ways of accessing them through 
flyers and online calculators and PDFs and access to free research um, and all these things that are just there at your disposal, which will over your lifetime save you fees, make you more engaged and yeah, basically help you retire with more money. Yeah, I think one of the big benefits, even in my particular super fund, the app on the phone, you can actually just chat to them through the app, which is really cool because if you just have a question, you don't have to sit on the phone, especially because we're all at work during the day when the, the support's usually open. You can just send a message and you'll get a notification when they've responded, which just makes it so much easier to just flick off a question if you've got a question about fees or where you're invested. Yeah. And and that's just going to get bigger and bigger mm. and bigger, right? Like you, you, we talk to the super funds again all the time and something that's apparent is sooner or later, and it can't be too far away, there will be a really, really good advice offering by a lot of super funds. Because again, some people's situation is really complex and it takes us ages being geniuses, figuring out the best way to do it. And sometimes it's as simple as, hey, is there a tax advantage for me to do this? And you know, you can kind of pop your through a little questionnaire or algorithm or chatbot or whatever it might be and or spit out a you know, a, a really good answer. And so, so that's just going to get bigger and bigger. Again, when you're talking about the different stages of life you're at, we deal with a lot with retirees and some of those, it's, you know, important to, you know, have, have a branch that they can stop by or something. But me personally, um, you know, I'm okay with doc signing things, doing things online, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. So having a better online presence is, is just super easy. And again, that, that's just going to grow and grow and grow. I think the, the, um, the biggest change that we'll see in super funds over the next 10 years is just the um, use of technology for better customer service, which again, will just be walking people through what's going on with their money as well as, you know, illuminating the, the many different options available to them. Awesome. And before we wrap up today's episode, I was wondering if you wanted to share any other things that you really want listeners to know about when it comes to looking at super and comparing options and figuring out what works for them. Yeah, definitely. Well, I'm sure if I could probably go on for two or three days further, but I think something that would be relevant to your listeners particularly, and, and it's becoming more and more in the current day, and is that there, there really is no one fund that fits all, quite genuinely. Um, but one of the big things or two of the really big things that can make a difference for people, one is the whole ESG or SRI or ethical or whatever you want to term it, that a lot of people, that's a real prerogative for them, that if they've got you know, this money, well, I'd prefer it not be invested in guns and drugs and you know, pornography and things like that. And so some funds have got a, a, a pretty, pretty darn sophisticated approach to that. And so that's one of the big things that can, you know, dictate which which list of funds might suit you better than another list of funds. And again, within that whole thing, there's a there's a myriad of different considerations. So, you know, the most common one, I suppose, would be climate change or, you know, something fossil fuel related in regards to the SRI or ethical option. Others is purely and simply you know, I'd prefer not to own stock in a in a in a company that manufactures missile systems or you know tank turrets or something like that. And the other thing I'd say in, in that regard is that different funds take different amounts of rigor in that. So, for example, you know, a company that makes a tank might have different suppliers, and that would go through other some filters, but not others. But uh, another really common one is is gender equality, and there are funds that have a real prerogative about 
about that. And and I would even say that one fund that I see a lot talk about this, and I think it's awesome personally, is that um, there is a bit of a gender disparity in finance, particularly at the the higher positions. And so I think a lot of funds have got stated objectives and, and transparency around, well, look, this is how much of our leadership team is female and and, you know, this is our ambition to get it to 50-50, et cetera, which is a great thing to do and, and not impossible by any stretch of the imagination. So, again, that that ethical ESG, SRI, whatever you want to call it, ESG stands for environmental, social and governance, and then SRI, socially responsible investing. If, if that's a factor for you, you know, there, there are multiple options out there. And I would just kind of caveat that. Don't just do it on that one basis. Again, make that decision in light of the other factors, meaning how big's the fund, how long's it been around, what, you know, actually who's managing the money and how sophisticated is their approach. And more than just having a stated goal to address something like gender equality, we'll delve into it, you know, what's their management team look like, you know, how do they go about selecting managers and things like that. And another thing that I think is um, really important when you're um, choosing a fund is insurance. I'm a pretty big hater of insurance personally, but same being said, it's a really important thing to have, you know, the right amount of and super's a darn effective way to get it. And a pretty big caveat there as well as what you do for a profession. So me personally, you know, work in my own business. I'm a white collar professional. You know, most of my hobbies involve wheels of some description. So if I came off one of my bikes and broke my arm, well, I could still do my job. I'd I'd probably be a bit of a grouch and I wouldn't be as efficient, but I could still happily work away. You know, if if I'm working as a carpenter or a plumber or, or even a taxi driver, an Uber driver or something like that, you know, that's that's not going to work for me. And particularly going back to that example of someone who's working in the construction industry or, or even, you know, whatever's termed a dangerous profession. So that could be a myriad of different things, firefighters, military, construction, etc. There's there's a lot of consideration there that you really do fall into a different bucket. So it's it's important to find a fund that's got an offering that's kind of tailored to your you know, the circumstances of your work. Because again, that is one of the other important things. And again, there's always more than one option there, but it's an important consideration. Yeah. And I think insurance is always the tricky one because there are different types of insurance and depending on your life circumstances and your dependents and what your job is, different things will apply. And I think that's when getting that personal financial advice can be really beneficial, especially long-term is getting that insurance set up right for your current situation rather than just trying to DIY it online. Yeah. And I mean, in that regard, I, I personally, our philosophy to insurance is, is pretty um, different. I think I think advisors are just thoroughly um, taking the mickey with insurances. I think if you look at, you know, conflict of interest that most of the time the person selling you the policy is getting a much benef- bigger benefit than you, the receiver of the advice. But yeah, it is definitely something that falls into that category that it's it's it really is different for everyone. And and again, there's tools like we've got a tool on our website to help you decide, you know, what's a level appropriate for you. But at the end of the day, that's only conducted on the basis of the imports, which is, you know, what's your debt? How many kids do you have? Um, how much do you have in savings? Things like that. There's a lot more nuanced perspectives like that. You know, some people are just adamant they need it because I've had health crises in past previous or, you know, family history or, you know, they're just worry warts for lack of a better term. And, and that's fine. It's more just that it is indeed actually based on what's what's important to you as opposed to some gold-toothed advisor just, just kind of flogging you too much. 
Yeah, amazing. Well, we've shared a lot of resources in today's episode for how to really look at different super fund options and what are some of the important factors there. And if people maybe are interested in seeing a bit more about what you do, Andy, and maybe even having a chat to you if they want to get some help figuring out their super and insurances and the rest of their financial life from a real person instead of strangers on the internet, how should they get in touch? Yeah. So again, our, our website, we've tried to design it such that it's a, you know, it's a really good tool. Um, so it's advisemetoday.com.au. That's the name of our business, Advise Me Today. Unfortunately, Advise Me was taken, um, which makes for a longer email address. But yeah, if you go on that, we've got a lot of resources that that basically help people triage. Well, do you need advice? Because, you know, if you're 26 and, you know, you don't have a lot of surplus income, well, you know, you might not get a benefit from sitting down with us personally, but we've got a, a super guide online. We've got a, a tool that, you know, shows you the top performing funds and take that with a grain of salt kind of thing. So, you know, that might be all you need, but equally, if that's not the case, booking an appointment, we work like like most professionals, really. We have a chat to someone over the phone for 15 minutes and, you know, heaps of the time, there's not there's nothing we can do for people that, you know, their setup is fine or all they really need to do is call their super fund for 10 minutes and we'll send them on their way. And other times, you know, people have more nuanced circumstances or there's a significant difference that we can provide. And again, we'll say, okay, well, let's go through the process. And now our process is a lot more transparent than others, I'd argue, you know, all our, all our fees and how we go about things and you know how we're designed and and owned and things like that are all again all on our website and our website actually has links to other great websites as well things like ASIC Money Smart and and again the Super Guides the Can Stars just looking at those independent you know kind of providers of information and tools because again there's there's just been such an advent in the the whole you know being able to make things more interesting than just a blog mm-hmm. post for for people. So the best place on earth to start without a shadow of a doubt is our our company website, advisemetoday.com.au. Wonderful. And I think we all appreciate a bit of transparency with fees these days, especially in the confusing world of finance. So thank you so much for joining me on the show today, Andy. And I really hope listeners got a lot out of the conversation. Thanks, Kate. Pleasure to be here. Thank you for listening to this episode of the How To Money Podcast. If you enjoyed this, please leave us a review on Apple Podcasts and send any questions our way via www.howtomoney.online. You can also catch us on Twitter and Instagram at howtomoneyaus, and we'd love to hear from you. You've been listening to the How To Money Podcast.